This is the Foodies Reviewing Movies Podcast. Each week, a couple of my friends and I get together and talk about two topics near and dear to our hearts and stomachs, food and movies. Each episode, we want to give you a taste of not only some of the interesting dishes we were able to indulge in and would like to recommend, but also the movies we had a ton of fun watching. Let's dig in. to this episode of the Foodies Reviewing Movies Podcast. I'm Callie. And I'm James. And thank you so much for joining us listeners. And also, James, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. So how have things been going, James? Been good. Been busy, but been good. Good, good. You know, we're, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the year here. Mm-hmm. We have some exciting movies coming out in theaters, so I'm pretty pretty happy about that. And Great. One that we're going to be talking about today is a lead-up to the fourth installment of the Matrix That's movies. Right. So I never thought this day would come. Me neither. <laughs> I thought we were done. But like a lot of franchises, they are resurrecting yep. them just like Neo in this movie. So <laughs> let's go ahead and let's jump into our amuse-bouche. This movie, it's in a very cyber world, and I thought, well, you know, everyone sort of has these hacker names, so Uh, let's choose our hacker names. James, if you were to be a hacker, what would your hacker handle be? uh, You know, I often go by by Leo in in most aspects Mm -hmm. of my life, so this is as generic as it can get, but what about just Leo with a three instead of an E? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, I mean, short, sweet, straight to the point. Actually, L30. That's even more cliche. (laughs) But still, you know, (laughs) I haven't seen it yet. Not that I'm looking for hacker handles or anything, but uh, mine, I'd probably go with one of two. The first one would be Zenith with a three instead of an E. And that's just meaning that it's a time where something is at its most powerful Mm. or most successful. And I'm like, who doesn't want to be successful? Uh, Mm. I do. So that's a good one. Or Maven with a three instead of an E. So also sort of generic as well in that terms of the language there. But that means, you know, someone who understands and generally is someone who can be an expert in a more sophisticated topic. Mm. And I'm like, who also doesn't want to be skilled and sophisticated? Yeah. I don't mind it. So <laughs> I thought that was good. Or you can just put them together and do like Maven Zenith. Just, there we you go. Know. Maven Zenith. Yeah, it sounds like a really like... Steampunk it kind of name. It sounds like a venture capitalist for Nathan <laughs> Zenith. Uh-oh, that's now going to be some kind of villain in a movie coming up <laughs> here in the future. Well, those are those are fun little names, and I'm... You know, I know if you guys out there want to give us your names, we'll be happy to hear them from you. We will have our social media information coming up here in just a bit. So uh, hang tight, and then you can send those to us. Well, let's go ahead now, and let's dive into our apps haps. So in this movie, it is notoriously known for steak. Yeah. When you say Matrix, you think food, it is steak. Yeah. So James, how do you like your steak cooked, typically? Uh, I play it safe. I usually ask for medium. Okay, The reason I ask for medium is because if it's medium rare, Mm -hmm. great. If it's medium well... Not so great, but still tolerable. If yeah. it's medium, that's also good. Mm-hmm. So I, I pretty much do it just because I don't know how it's going to turn out. And yeah. this kind of ensures that it's going to be... It's, it's not going to be just a, a cow carcass. <laughs> it's not going to be cremated. So Yes. I don't want it still mooing and moving. Yeah. 
And I also don't want it burnt ashes. Exactly. So, yeah, medium is usually what I like as yeah. well. You get that nice hot pink middle to yeah. it. It's still flavorful. It's still right. nice and tender. So, yeah, I like that quite a bit as well. Uh, that's my preference. Now, where's the best steak that you've ever had? Where is that from? Uh, see, I'm, I grew up on a cattle farm, so I'm, oh. I'm a steak snob. Yeah. And I've had, I've had snake, steak <laughs> at a lot of good places. But oddly enough, local is mm-hmm. my favorite place. And I, I absolutely think Malone's kills it when it comes to a steak. They so, are so good. I've not eaten at Malone's with a steak yet. Oh, so good. Yeah, I've been waiting for like a really special occasion yeah, for that's it. That's a birthday kind of place. Yeah, so. Yeah, I recommend getting the cream spinach if you get a steak there oh. because it pairs super good. Cream spinach is delicious to yeah. begin with. But now you're telling me, you know, being a, a steak aficionado, <laughs> that the cream spinach is best yeah. with it. I've got to do that. Maybe I'll go ahead and, and do that soon. If, with this podcast, I'm going to have to do it. So I can't mm. just be like the only one saying, oh, I've never been there to eat that before. I've been to Drake's, which is like the little brother, yeah. you know, but I haven't had a Malone steak yet. Now, what about in terms of like a casual eatery for a steak? If you were just to go somewhere, somewhere like... An Outback or a Longhorn, Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, uh, Shallows has pretty good. Uh, Texas Roadhouse is, is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then local, this is this another local choice because it surprised me. wasn't ready for this. I love Ramsey's. They have great food in general. Yeah. But they're steak and eggs. Like most steak and eggs, you get this rubbery steak, yeah. and then the eggs is really the kind of the, the star of mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. Not at Ramsey's. Like wow. they're really tender, good steak and eggs. Nice. Like yeah, you you feel like an old timey bodybuilder having breakfast. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so awesome. it's great. Great, yeah. So like, I I've not had Ramsey's steak yet either. Yeah. Usually I go with like their fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. Something. This like is their that. breakfast, so yeah, gotta get there early. Yeah, well, I'll have to give that a go at some point. And how do you usually do your eggs with that? Are they like uh, over medium. Hard? Over medium? Okay, great. Yeah, so like for my casual eatery, I would say probably Texas Roadhouse. I mean, you just, you get the rolls, <laughs> you get the cinnamon butter, uh, you get that nice hefty baked potato. Right. I like it with all them fixings in it. Right. It's like, why not just be as ridiculous as possible with your I'm calorie actually, intake? I'm making steak tonight. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, one, of, one of my cows I turned into a steak. Oh. And I'm braising uh, with uh, pineapple juice and soy sauce. Oh. That's my secret. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you heard his secret here first, everyone. <laughs> now, don't go tell everyone. But, uh, yeah, a Texas Roadhouse also is a local place mm-hmm. here in Kentucky. It was established in, in Louisville. Cool. Yeah. It, it, the headquarters is there, and it was it was founded in 1993, and it was at the Green Tree Mall in Clarksville, Indiana, but headquartered in Louisville. So uh, it's that general area there on each side of the river. They came together and uh, took that residence up. But yeah, I like I like that for my casual one for the best steak I've ever had. It's the Rodizio Grill, which is down in the heart of Nashville, downtown in the historic district. It's the first authentic Brazilian steakhouse or Shura Shura. Churrasseria? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Churrasseria. I think I went there for my birthday one. Really? Yeah. They come out with the meat on yeah, the steaks? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they have like this Parmesan garlic crusted one. That's right. And it's amazing. Mm. 
Yeah. So first one that was here in the United States, the guy actually came over from Sao Paulo. So mm. uh, definitely a Brazilian native made this right. and created an award-winning restaurant reputation featured in national news, including USA Today, The Washington Post, CBS, and NBC News. Wow. Yeah, definitely has a really good reputation. Definitely very good. It's about $43 a head for dinner, but you're getting as many sides as you want, as many mm. pieces of steak as you yeah, want. Yeah, I remember. It's so, good. Yeah, so that the Parmesan crusted one that I had, it still haunts my dreams, uh. and it's been like three years. So <laughs> Right now they are temporarily closed, though. Uh. I think that they are doing some remodeling okay. so all right we're just gonna go ahead now we talked about some good steak let's go ahead and talk about a good movie with the matrix the matrix is about a disheveled program writer who moonlights as a hacker and finds that the world he's been residing in is a lot more like the cyber universe he submerges himself into nightly than he thought yeah. learning that life as he knows it is just a simulation. Yep. 1999, The Matrix came mm. out. And when we went back and watched it, I don't feel like it felt like 1999 besides for some of the old hardware that they had for the computers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, in some ways, it's it was such a big trendsetter that, like, it feels like every action movie that came out from, like, 2000 to 2010, mm -hmm. maybe even a little after that, it just sort of felt like they were all riding The Matrix's coattails when it came to cinematography. Oh, yeah. And in a lot of cases, even the writing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, there's a scene in Shrek, for example, <laughs> has even been influenced by The Matrix. Yeah. There's a part where Fiona, who's voiced by Cameron Diaz, her character jumps in the air, does the, the mid-air stop like right. it happens in this movie. She fixes her hair for a second, and then she kicks like these three right. guys in the face. And, and that's that's what's so interesting about like certain components of this movie. Mm -hmm. Is even now I didn't see it, but I heard that even the the bullet time thing that they use it was in uh, that the Space Jam sequel. Like oh. like they're, they're still referencing it. <laughs> well, and it's sort of I feel like almost influenced the movie Wanted with mm. Angelina Jolie a little mm. bit because they had that slow bullet moving right. through the room. Yeah, it's. Uh, definitely I'll list off some more movies later <laughs> that it has helped influence but definitely has become a huge part of pop culture for sure we start off in this with an opening scene where there's code that appears across the screen in that nice green you know <laughs> color that they had from back in the day with those computers and you're, you're hearing a short conversation between Trinity who's played by Carrie Ann Moss and she's talking with a character that we learn later is Cypher. Right. They're talking about someone that she, she's taking a shift and she's watching him. And he's like, oh, you like him, don't you? Kind right. of thing. Mm. And she's like, pretty much just shut up and wait. Did you hear that noise? And then all of a sudden she's like, is, that, is the line clean? And then they quickly get off. And so immediately there's this air of mystery yeah. And it's like, are we getting ready to see a bunch of spies? Like, yeah. what's yeah, happening? They, they throw you into it before they start with the exposition. Yes. Which I love it when movies do that. Mm -hmm. When they have those kinds of, I, I guess it's not really a cold opening. But, you know, they, they throw you into the universe and then they explain it a little afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, because what's great about it is now you're scratching your head and you're thinking, what did that mean? What did that mean? And then as it slowly starts making more sense, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
for sure. And I mean, just this opening. So you've mentioned to me a little while ago, one of your favorite movies, which is the ghost in the shell. Yeah. And the beginning of this movie, the animated version. I yes. Have. Yeah. Not the, not the dumpster fire version. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Scarlett, but I heard not so great things. It resembles the opening credits of that 1995 Japanese cyberpunk film, Ghost in the Shell. And it definitely had a huge influence on all of the Matrix movies. Oh, yeah. And this code that they had that came up, it received the runner-up award in 1999 for the Jesse Garson Award for in-film typography or opening credit sequence okay yeah i never knew that was a thing Mm. but uh it won that and it definitely i feel like sets the tone of okay we know that computers have a lot going on with what we're about to see yeah but we don't know what we're about to see exactly yeah (laughs) so we start off after having that green type at the beginning we go from there to police investigating a hotel right They're walking in, they got their flashlights, they're moving through the hallways, they open the door, and there's a woman sitting with her back facing them toward a wall. Yep. And you're like, what what is this chick doing? She's also a super anime type thing to do, by the way. (laughs) That's how you know who the the MC is in an anime. (laughs) (laughs) So Trinity's the MC, and she's she's just sitting there facing the wall. Well, then we, we... Go outside, and this group of agents show up. They look like CIA, FBI type of dudes. Some sort of alphabet boys, yeah. And they roll up, and the cops are like, oh, God. You know, (laughs) these guys are here. And they converse a bit. The cops are like, oh, I've got two units in there. They're going to go grab the the little girl, brush it off as a sexist comment, like, oh, it's a woman, whatever. Oh, little do they know, because Agent Smith, who's the guy that talks to him, he says, oh, your guys are already dead. Yeah. And that's where we're like, what is the <laughs> So that's where we go into the slow-mo kick in the air. Right. And this is an amazing scene because she stops midair and almost sort of this like praying mantis kind of Yeah, it's of like crane kung fu pose. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a better way of putting it. And so this stunt, she actually performed it. Carrie mm-hmm. Ann Moss did. She was rigged up on wires. Naturally. And trained by Chinese director and martial arts choreographer Yu Wu Ping. Mm. This fight scene that he worked on along with several others were inspired by Jet Li's Fist of Legend. Which I loved, by the way. Definitely a huge impact there. And we'll talk more about Mr. Ping as we go through this movie Mm. as he is such a heavy hand involving the choreography for this. So she beats the crap out of him. (laughs) And Trinity goes ahead and takes off. She's running. She knows the agents are there and she knows she needs to get away. They start running across rooftops. Well, these rooftops that she runs across were actually featured in the movie Dark City. I love Dark City. Yeah. Well, these rooftops are the same rooftops. Okay. Too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. The, you can, I mean, really, in some ways, if Dark City and Ghost in the Shell had a kid, it would be The Matrix. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So they, they have that, too, which is cool. Mm. Exact same set. They were the leftover pieces of the set. Mm. So, boom, there it is. So she's running across the rooftops. She jumps from one roof to another. The cops are like, that's impossible. No, it's not. (laughs) Because she does it, and then one of the agents does it after her, too. And when you're first watching it, you're like, so these these people have superpowers. That Mm -hmm. has to be Mm -hmm. the explanation. Right, they're superheroes. Yeah, it's them, not the world around them, that's causing these Mm -hmm. interesting behavioral 
uh, changes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then, nope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. We're going to flip that around and completely confuse you. Trinity runs and stops and sees a telephone booth. Mm. But then there's also a big truck there. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Revving the engine. She's looking at it, deciding, should I go for it? She takes off running. She luckily gets the phone to her head just in the nick time as Agent Smith, played by Hugo Weaving, runs it over. He did a phenomenal job. Yes, he did. We will have to talk a bit about him here in a few minutes Mm -hmm. because he's he's a great antagonist Mm -hmm. and very interesting characteristics and different things he chose to do for this role. So lots to talk about involving him. But then when he goes to check the wreckage, there's no body. Right. What? (laughs) (laughs) What is happening? In that moment, we're like, okay... So we got maybe superheroes. Yep. They can jump from roof to roof. We also have agents, possibly CIA, them. FBI. Yep. They're chasing after this chick. She's also wearing a lot of leather. What's going on? <laughs> you know? And and that also was something that impressed me through this whole movie. They're all wearing leather. Yeah. It, it totally influenced fashion for like a five-year window. Mm-hmm. Like wraparound sunglasses and oh, yeah. black was... Super, super popular oh, yeah. for a while, yeah. Carrie Ann Moss could not go out with a pair of sunglasses on because immediately she was recognized. Makes <laughs> so, sense. <laughs> so, yeah, she's had, to, she's had to stop wearing sunglasses, at least for a little while, mm. when she went out in public because people were like, oh, my God, it's Trinity, you wow. know, and so they're freaking out, which I get it because that, this was just such a huge movie, yeah. as we know. In that moment, we then go over here and we meet Keanu Reeves' character, Thomas Anderson, a.k.a. Yep. Neo. And Neo is his hacker name. He wakes up to the old style computer and lo and behold, a message is being typed to him. And it's, it's just sort of like, okay, this is creepy because someone's like, wake up Neo. Yeah. The matrix has you. Yep. And follow the white rabbit. Yeah. That was, that was the, when I saw that line, everything else was mysterious, but then when I saw that line, Mm-hmm. For me, that was when I knew. I was like, this is going to be a very different movie from what I thought this was going to be. Yes, yes. We find out, well, when you think White Rabbit, mm. typically in literature, in pop culture, right. where is that taking you? Yeah, to Wonderland, mm-hmm. to another world. So, start putting the pieces together. Yeah. And he then gets a knock at the door. One of his, in quotations, clients arrives and purchases a disc for two grand. Yep. I'm like, what's on that disc? (laughs) (laughs) They invite him to go out to the club. Before we go to the club, though, there is a book that he hollowed out Mm. and kept the discs in called the Simulacra. Simulacrum? No, no, it's Simulacrum. Yeah, Simulacrum and Simulation. Ah, Simulacrum. Yeah, Simulacrum and Simulation is a book that not only Keanu Reeves had to read, but mm. also all the other main actors mm. before they even got to read the script. Nice. And he homework. also... Yeah, a lot of homework. Because I think there may have actually been like three books in total mm. that everyone had to read. Right. I'm like, think about being those actors, having other jobs, having other scripts you're having to read, and then also being told you need to read this book that's yeah. like three inches thick. Oh, wait, but there's also like three books. Right. So that's a lot of reading. It's and, different, that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it is, though, vital to understand what they're about to put themselves into. Right. Because reading the script, when we're about to talk about all this, for anyone who hasn't seen The Matrix, mm-hmm. if you were to read the script, you'd be like, 
this isn't going to work. Right. You know? Yeah, none of this adds up. Yeah. But now a lot of people, you know, probably listen to this. You've seen the movie. So sure. you know what we're, we're about to dive into. But watching it for the first time, you're just like, what yeah. is going and imagine on? Imagine being part of it scene by scene. Yeah. And you know, they don't shoot films in chronological order. No. So it's I mean, the, your first day on the job. Who knows what you're dealing mm-hmm. with? So, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the first scene that they shot was not one that was at the beginning or the end. Right. So it was, uh, yeah, actually the first scene with him in the, the pod that mm-hmm. he's in where he's like a lot skinnier and like bald uh, and stuff. That was the last shot of... Of the movie with him falling into the lake thing that we're going to talk about yeah, in a second. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because he, he had... Keanu Reeves had gained a lot of, like, muscle tone. Mm-hmm. And he had that nice hair, the luscious <laughs> hair going on. And then you see him completely opposite in that right. scene. But, yeah, so he, he gets invited to a nightclub. He agrees to go just because this girl has a tattoo uh, of a rabbit on her shoulder. So he's like, okay, I'm going to follow it like this mysterious message told me to. Right. He goes to the club and meets Trinity, mm-hmm. who's the one that's been kicking everybody's butt in the beginning of the movie. Right. And they sort of have a one-on-one convo. Mm-hmm. She lets him know they're watching you. Yeah. Okay, well, who's they? Yeah, he asks. Exactly. Like anyone in that situation would. And she tells him, the Matrix will find you. Mm-hmm. Once again, what is the Matrix? Right. We still don't know yet. After that, Neo wakes up late for work. This is where some of the mirroring and the parallels start to happen for this movie. Mm. Different aspects of this life he is going to begin to start to lead. His boss has him in the office. They're talking. Yep. Agent Smith and the boss, they talk very similarly yeah. to each other. Well, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, that, that creepy monotone. Yes, yes. And they both call him Mr. Anderson. Yeah. They look very similar as well. Yeah. So you're like, okay, you know, when, when you start piecing those two things together, I feel like that was definitely a little hint of like, this is about, right. you know, who he's going to deal with. People who are in the power structure are in on it, mm-hmm. which I think is very telling just when you think about the word matrix, because yes. a matrix pretty much means something that is sort of structured throughout something else, something mm-hmm. that holds something else up. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's all about a fictional reality that's being held up by fictional forces. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by the way, did you notice the name of the company that he works at? Uh-uh. The company that Neo works at is called Metacortex. Metacortex. It's a software company, but also when you think of Metacortex, Meta is meaning like beyond, beyond and then cortex, men- the mind. And then the so, mind. Yeah. So beyond the, the mind. mind. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that cortex. was that was pretty interesting to, mm. to find out. That'd be a good acronym too, by the way, Cortex. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, Metacortex, that already is hinting at us. If you're looking like I went through and I watched a few different guys talk about on YouTube yeah. these little hidden Easter eggs. Uh, yeah. And there's so many in them. Um, I, yeah, I mean, every every shot and every name has some sort of double meaning mm-hmm. or some sort of triple meaning yes. in this film. Yeah, so Metacortex, one of them that is just re- really right there in plain mm. sight. But unless you're looking for it, you're yeah. not going to notice it. That's one that I, I thought I would be fun to share. So yeah. he works at Metacortex as this software developer guy. And he gets a phone call from someone after a courier has delivered this envelope with a phone in it. Right. That person's name is Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, and he tells Neo that they're coming for him. Yeah. 
It must be the same they that Trinity <laughs> told him about, right? Yes. Agent Smith and his lackeys, they're trying to take Neo. Yep. Morpheus is like, I need to help you escape. Here's how you do it. Well, he ends up getting caught. They take him to an interrogation room, and they interrogate him, of course. <laughs> but also, they uh, they melt his mouth shut. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> to me, the other moment. Like, mm-hmm. Father White Rabbit, I'm like, this is going to be different. And then the mouth melt. Then I'm like, okay, so not superheroes. This is just, this is a flipping trip at this point. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, I want my phone call. And they're like, well, what good is a phone call yeah, with no mouth, mouth to speak yeah. with? Which, by the way, that's a reference to, uh, I have no mouth, but I'm a scream. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so he starts flipping out. Naturally. Definitely. Would be, I mean, he, and the way Keanu Reeves did logic. it. Yeah. Yeah, the way Keanu Reeves did it, too, mm-hmm. was fantastic. Pushes himself away from the table very quickly. Chair goes flying. He's in yeah. the corner, just reaching for anything. He behaved the way somebody whose mouth was melting would behave. Yes. Yeah. Very realistic. <laughs> And then they throw him down on the table, and they take out this bionic looks. It looks like a bacteriophage. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a virus, in other words. Mm Mm-hmm. They put it on his belly, and it goes in through his navel. Yep. Gross. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they bugged him. Yeah. They bugged him. They bugged him. He wakes up, though, screaming from what he thinks is now a nightmare. He's like, okay, surely, like my mouth can't melt yeah. in real life. I mean, it was nightmare logic, and now I'm now I'm no longer in a nightmare. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm in bed, okay. And then he gets another phone call <laughs> from Morpheus, and he's like, uh, "Look, you're the one, yeah. the one what? You're the one." <laughs> and they agree to meet. Right. So Neo goes and meets with Apoc, Switch, and Trinity. They debug him. They take some... James, describe the device that they use. To me, it's kind of like a a cross between an EMP, a can opener, and a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Basically, those three things had a kit. Yes. And they they use it to locate and pull out the the bug Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. his name. And I did want to discuss, though, the names a little bit here. Sure. Like we mentioned, hacker names. Yeah. Okay? APOC. What kind of name is that? That's Mm -hmm. short for Apocalypse. Yeah. Do you know why he was named Apocalypse? No. Because he invented a, a virus called the Four Horsemen. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's in more of the history outside of this movie mm. that was mentioned in one of the other uh, Matrix like spinoffs. Uh. So his name is Apoc for that reason. Switch. This is an interesting one. Uh. Switch initially, when the actress went into audition, was only auditioning for half the role. Because this was going to be where, when they were outside of the Matrix, they were one gender. Uh. But upon going into the Matrix, they switched to the one that their mind's eye sees them Interesting. As. Yeah, so initially it was going to be a male playing one half and a female playing the other half. Uh. Foreshadowing, but IRL. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, which there's a lot of androgyny that is also included throughout this movie as well. That's pretty cool. And then Trinity, this is where religion sort of starts to become involved. Right. You wouldn't think in this movie that religion would really be involved. Hmm. But it is laden with religion. Dripping with it. Yeah, just peppered throughout the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Trinity is, in Christianity, part of a, a three-part being. 
Yeah, the concept that God has three natures Mm -hmm. that are simultaneously separate but also indivisible. Yes. We'll talk a little more about that after we meet Morpheus because it'll make more sense. (laughs) So in this, Switch is talking to Neo, calls him a copper top. Mm. Okay, well, I I honestly didn't pick up on that the first couple times I watched it. Mm. But then I heard it, and I was like, what does that mean? Right. Well, what is a copper top, typically? It's a battery. Yeah, it's another name referencing a Duracell battery. Yeah. Why would she call him a copper top, you know? Yeah, Yeah. outside of this film, when you called somebody a copper top, the implication would be that they had, like, chestnut hair. Mm -hmm. He does not. No, he does not. It's, like, black. So, yeah, now we're like, okay, copper top. Yeah. We'll learn more about that in a minute. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump into this new adventure called The Matrix. James, can you explain the concept of The Matrix to us? Sure. Pretty much, it falls in line a lot with Ghost in the Shell and with Descartes' demon. Uh, But, you know, when I think about Ghost in the Shell, the underlying theme is that perception is reality. You know, there's this big, long diatribe that the main character goes on in Ghost in the Shell where she talks about because she's drinking alcohol, and she's saying, the only reason I know that I'm drinking alcohol and I'm feeling the effects of alcohol is because I'm perceiving those effects because I'm being told to by the programming that's telling me that that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And if I was programmed in a different way, I wouldn't be perceiving it. And so the same thing can be applied to what we experience. We experience the world through various senses. We think of them as five, but we actually have a lot more than that. Um, And, you know, if, if... the right neurons were fired in the right order, we would experience a completely different scenario, mm-hmm. or or we could just be not experiencing it at all. Mm. We just think we are because of those neurons being fired. Trippy. Yeah, very. <laughs> and pretty much what the Matrix is, is it is a simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this idea that we're all living in a fabricated, disto... Well, in this, in this case, it is our reality. Yes. What we call reality, everyday waking life, it's not real. It's completely fabricated. We're actually batteries in tubes floating around in a kind of viscous fluid. And all the things that we believe are happening to us are happening to us just internally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Morpheus, he, he says a couple lines here, little nuggets of knowledge, mm-hmm. if you would. It's everywhere, all around us. Which is what a matrix does. (laughs) Yes. We have a little exposition giving us a taste of what the world is to come. The big question, though, James, before we can find out about this Mm. mysterious world, (laughs) do you want... I actually have jelly beans. Do you want the red pill or the blue pill, James? (laughs) Tell us about what the red pill means. Tell us what the blue pill means. Yeah, the, the blue pill is a metaphor for staying in that fabricated reality, staying in the world that you are familiar with, the one you were born into, the one you were educated into, and the one that, as far as you know, is, is real. Mm-hmm. And then the red pill would wake you up from, from again, we, we think of reality as reality, but it would actually wake you up from Wonderland and mm-hmm. take you to the real world for yes. what it really means and what it really is. So, question for you. <laughs> Like I just I was asked. wondering what that little dish was for the <laughs> I've whole been time. waiting with yeah. a prop. I'm gonna Morpheus <laughs> you and ask you which pull would you take? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I wouldn't have any foresight into what kind of world it was. Mm-hmm. If I knew how dystopian it was, mm-hmm. I probably would have taken the blue pill. Mm-hmm. But 
again, the excitement in that moment of knowing, like, well, what's real? Yeah. You know, what I can pierce the veil of reality and see what's genuine and what's not. Mm-hmm. Definitely in that instance, I would have taken the right pill. But I probably would have regretted it pretty much five minutes into it. Yeah, which is Cypher sort of brings yeah. that up throughout yeah. the movie as well. Uh, exactly. Yeah, the whole ignorance is bliss thing. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> like, if they, if I would have known beforehand as well, I'd be like, nope, blue pill. Yeah. We're good. I don't want to know what you're talking yeah. about. Um, I don't want to know that I'm a battery for machines. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine without that. So, you know, it's, it's crazy because I, I feel like I want to say I would take the red pill. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I feel like I probably would out of curiosity because sure. I'm a very curious person. But I, if I knew, like you said, t- I would have taken the right. blue pill. And to be fair, if a stranger offered me pills, I wouldn't take either. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, mm, I'm good. Bye. An interesting thing, too, because here we have the red versus the blue. Red equaling real life, blue equaling simulation. Right. When you're looking at this movie in the simulation... There is always green in the scene somewhere. Right. Whether it's the tint of the lens. Yeah. That was the actually background. the thing I least liked about The Matrix was mm-hmm. its legacy. Because again, for like 10 years, <laughs> every flipping action movie had to have a green like layer to it. Yes. Yeah. And then when they're in the real world, outside of The Matrix, it's blue. Right. And I was like, well, why didn't they offer a green pill or a blue pill? Right. Or have... Red lens, yeah. Yeah. So that sort of was really an interesting concept mm. to me. And I know there was like a lot more that went into it sure. involving the actual style and look of it. It's just, I was like, maybe that was too much on the nose and I was trying to yeah. connect the colors too much. No, I think there's definitely a connection. And maybe the only reason they didn't do a red uh, lens, maybe they tried it out and they were like, this, this is really gross and ugly. <laughs> we just can't keep it up. Who knows? Yeah, and then, I mean, like, the pill, though, they could have done a green pill, but I feel like it wouldn't well, blue have drawn as much attention. Blue and red have a, a dichotomy just in the human psyche. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of the way we think. Like, the yeah. first color we ever saw, evolutionarily, mm-hmm. was red. Mm-hmm. And we think of red in association with power. Yeah. So red is very primitive. Mm-hmm. Red is very uh, basic, yeah. instinctive. And then on the flip side, blue is one of the last colors we evolved to see, if not mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. color. And so blue has associations with, you know, uh, I guess you could say civilization, with uh, being more highly evolved, being calm, being docile. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why, um, you know, Big empires like to incorporate red in their flag, uh, and doctors like to incorporate blue in their their uniforms. There's a, there's a connection. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Like, yeah, I mean, those are always you know, and when you're looking at like Star Wars, for example, mm. you have red for like Darth Vader, yeah, and no, then 100%. you have blue, blue for, for yeah, Luke. You absolutely. Know? Yeah, about half the countries in the world have red and blue. Both on their flags. That's not yeah. a coincidence. Ours, Britain, Australia, etc. So yeah. yeah, which now makes me curious about the other countries that don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. yeah. So we have, like you mentioned, these harvesting pods, mm-hmm. and this harvesting field. Yeah. After he takes the red pill, he's shown this other world. Yeah. The pod looks disgusting. Yep. It's like this jelly-like material. Yeah. It's basically oxygenated perfluorocarbon, which is another movie reference, maybe. Mm. Uh, the abyss. Mm. Because it's a real thing, by the way. There actually is a fluid humans can breathe. 
just trippy to think about. Yeah. And uh, it's it's perfluorocarbon because it just happens to be of a viscosity where if it goes in the lungs, it doesn't do any damage. Uh-huh. And it can be oxygenated, and our cells can actually pull oxygen from it. So, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But he also does have like that ventilator type of thing as well. That's true. That he pulls out of his throat, which just was gross as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's, like I mentioned, bald in yeah. this. He... Keanu Reeves shaved his whole body. Yeah. The whole thing. He's like a naked mole rat <laughs> of a man. And he ended up losing about 15 pounds. Uh, he looked very sickly yeah. during that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, when he looks around him, there is a horrorscape of what could be compared to condo buildings, but of these pods. <laughs> yeah. And there are giant machines that are harvesting people for their energy. Yeah. People have wires hooked up to them. It's a nightmare. Holes in them. It's crazy. Yeah. But then he gets taken out of it and flushed down almost this kind of toilet-esque <laughs> scenario and lands in this sort of like little lake pond that I referred yeah. to before. He's brought into the real world and Morpheus, Trinity, the rest of the crew are helping him as his muscles have atrophied. And yeah. Then we have the Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. We have the crew, James. So tell us about the ship, the Nebuchadnezzar, and also the religious connection that it has because there right. is a religious connection. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon. And from all accounts in history, that's an important word, he was a good king. Mm-hmm. Biblically, they didn't like him so much. Uh, yeah. He was a pagan king. Uh, and he is actually compared, um, a lot of people misinterpret this. There's actually a verse where, in uh, the Bible, I just can't remember where, mm-hmm. but it says something to the effect of, Oh, Lucifer, how far how thou art fallen, or something like that. And it's, it's a reference to the morning star. People think that it's Satan. Mm-hmm. That's actually a misnomer. It's actually not about Satan. It's actually about Babylon itself during Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And since he was a king during that period, you could refer to Nebuchadnezzar in that sense as Lucifer and as the morning star. Hmm. Okay. And he also, didn't he help people who were exiled yes. go from one nation to another? Yeah. Which is... Yeah, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which sort of happens in this, right. this world. Yeah. So... Uh, nice little religious connection yeah. there again. And, and here's a food and drink connection. I can't remember the actual volume. But, mm-hmm. You know, he was known for having big feasts with lots of booze. Mm. There's actually a unit in modern times of wine named after him. Oh. Uh, it's like a massive, I think it's like 40 bottles of wine. in a. It's a big glass bottle. It's called a Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, there's, there's also, I don't know if you noticed this or not, on the ship itself in the movie, there is like a little plaque. It says Mark 3, uh, number 11. Hadn't seen that. It's a Bible verse, and maybe this is sort of along the lines of what you were saying as well. And whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God, mm. relating to Neo's path to Jesus. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's 100%. This is a messianic story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in, in this situation, Neo is representing in the Holy Trinity, mm. Jesus, right. the Son. Morpheus represents the Father. Mm. And then Trinity represents the Holy Ghost, which also she's like a ghost in the machine uh, as well. So, lots of layers. Lots of layers. We have their ship. They're going moving around in the sewers. Yeah. Of this old, dilapidated, destroyed, scorched world. Yeah, the ruins. 
And what are they hiding from, James? What are these things coming after them? Yeah, I mean, they're they're machines, obviously, mm-hmm. and they have a very insect or cephalopod-like structure. Yes. Um, and, yeah, it's very obvious that they're using people as batteries, and they don't take too kindly to people who aren't being batteries. Nope. <laughs> and they want to stop that right away. Yeah. They're called sentients, or they also call them squiddies, because right. they sort of look like squids yeah. a little yeah. bit, you know? And what's the only way that we really can destroy them? I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's an EMP. Oh, shock okay. them with That's the electricity. Right. A lot of times whenever these sentients are moving around, mm-hmm. they will have to power down so that way they are not discovered mm-hmm. or uh, sensed at all. Mm-hmm. But if they are to be attacked in their ship, they are to use an EMP mm-hmm. to decimate them. Right. There's also a lot of elements of not only religion, but also, like we mentioned, computers and the cyber universe. We meet characters who have hacker-esque names because they do not want their given names from the machines. And then we meet Mouse, Mm. Switch, we've already met, but tying her into this, Cypher we mentioned, Tank, and Dozer. Now, Tank and Dozer sound different, right? Like, if you were to go, which ones don't belong in this group? (laughs) It's those two. Right. Because those two were not actually born in In the... the Matrix. Yeah, Yeah. in the Matrix. So they are the two people that we meet at this time. They're the two people who were born in the real world, do not have holes in them, have never been used as a battery. (laughs) And you're like, okay, but how were they born in the (laughs) real world? From what my understanding is, is there's one guy that was born in the real world somehow. Mm. He goes and starts setting free those who are being used as energy. Right. Which, by the way, huge cultural callback. This is 100% the allegory of the cave. This Mm -hmm. is Plato's cave. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody realized they were in a cave. It wasn't real. They were just shadows on the wall. They left. And then after they left, they felt obligated to go back into the cave Mm -hmm. to help other people realize that they're not living in the real world. Yes. So, yeah, 4,000-year-old or 3,000-year-old concept that we think of as modern because it's got computers in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But lo and behold, it's actually from a long time ago. And, uh, you know, speaking of, of, you know, older views that mirror the matrix Mm -hmm. uh i wonder if there would even be a matrix if there wasn't descartes demon Mm -hmm. so descartes famous guy who pretty much came up with the scientific method and cogito or go some i think therefore i am he had this thought experiment where he pointed out that you know if there was a really bad malicious demon Mm -hmm. and you know they visited you in your sleep and were able to have complete and utter control of your senses then you would not be able to distinguish the deem, the the deem, the dream <laughs> created by the demon mm-hmm. from reality, and you would have no way you could live your whole life as part of just some fantasy that some demon had created for you out of their own maliciousness. Mm. And the whole point of it was because again, this is the guy who helped create the scientific method. The whole point was, you know, if we live in a materialistic universe where you can measure and quantify things, you can discover everything there is to know about that world. And, and make determinations from it. And that's the world that we mostly agree we all live in. Mm-hmm. But he posited this idea simultaneously that, well, yeah, I mean, we base reality on our senses and on, on how we perceive things. But if something could control how we perceive things, they would control what we would call reality. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. A lot of deep stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
speaking of a lot of deep stuff. So, like we said, the Matrix movies have been embedded in a lot of other movies mm. throughout society. One of them especially being the movie I, Robot uh, yeah. with Will Smith, which there's another connection involving Will Smith, by the way. <laughs> he was in- initially like pitched as one of the possible people for Neo. Uh. But he turned it down for the Wild West movie. Wow. Yeah. Well, that alone means he didn't deserve it. <laughs> and then his wife is in the second one. Uh. And she supposedly was also pitched the role for Trinity. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Scientology. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, there's also a lot of rumors as to who may or may not have been offered roles. Mm. Some of them, I'm like, I don't know if I believe that or not. Like, yeah. David Schwimmer for, for Neo, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't see yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I'm very pleased that we ended up with the cast we had. Yes. I think every single one of them was perfect. Yeah. Like I mentioned, iRobot. That, I feel like, was heavily influenced by this because the history of humans and AI. Morpheus explains in The Desert of Real that, in which is supposed to be the, the dystopian, you know, real world, he's showing us what our actual world now looks like versus the Matrix, all that kind of stuff. Well, in this desert, he's telling the history of man and machine. How we created AI, artificial intelligence, and then artificial intelligence started to get a mind of its own. And then there all of a sudden were like rights activists fighting for the machines to have rights. And then the machines are like, "Um, we're revolting and taking over. Yeah. Also sort of sounds a bit like Terminator, doesn't it? It's also what happens in I Have No Mouth, But I'm a Scream, Mm -hmm. which is what... I mean, that that's the most horrifying concept of all, which is the idea of, like, what if a machine had complete control over how you perceive the world and hated you? Yeah. What would it do to you? Destroy the short answer you. is it would, no worse, yeah. it would make you live forever <laughs> and torment you every day. Which, in essence, in the long run, is destroying you. It's no. just in a slow version. It would make you wish you were destroyed. <laughs> oh, man. By the way, cannot recommend that story enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's It's a chilling story. Anyways, we digress, so we'll move back into the Matrix. The Matrix. Um, well, yeah, so in the process of us learning about the Matrix, about the Nebuchadnezzar, about mm. Neo being referred to as the, the one. one. Well, when we say the one, we know the religious aspect right. of that, but what are they saying the one is in this movie, James? Right. Well, a- again... It, it stems from this idea that, you know, perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And here's somebody who can really alter reality the way the machines do. Yeah. Because that's the thing. The machines are masters of Wonderland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to mm-hmm. use Wonderland as the term. Yeah. And in this case, people can't. They can do certain things as we've seen, mm-hmm. but they can't. They don't have complete and innate mastery over that world yeah. to just do whatever they want. And... That's sort of what the one is to them. This idea that somebody's going to have complete mastery over it and they're going to be able to save us all and deliver us from Egypt, I mean the Matrix, (laughs) and, uh, you know, we're going to be happily ever after. Yeah, yeah. And so he's, he's the savior. Yeah. He's the savior in essence. And that's why he, as you can see, Morpheus is so determined to protect him through this movie, also right. making him like a father figure. Yeah. And Tank and Dozer say as well that he is a father figure to them. Right. Two, speaking of Tank and Dozer, hmm? so the last couple episodes that we've had you in, James, 
We've had martini shots with James, yeah. right? And so any of you at home who are like, where's my martini time? Where is it? <laughs> well, not to worry because we are finally here. Well, actually, when you go on to our next episode, part two of the first Matrix movie. So go ahead and click play and you'll get to hear these really delicious recipes that James has concocted for us. <laughs>